We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your co-host for today's show, Alex Golden, and I'm going to be joined by the one and only Michael J. Fachi to talk all things Indiana Pacers with you. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Alex, not only are we coming off of a revenge win, because like I said, nobody beats Nate Bjorkman twice in back-to-back days, um, but also I feel like the positive injury news that we got today, a little bit, little bit overshadowed that win for the better. I couldn't be happier for that. Yeah, we got some updates today on Karis LeVert and DeMontis Sabonis. Fachi, you want to let the people know what uh, the good news is today? Yeah. Sure. So with all these medical terms, you you think I'm, you know, training to be a doctor, but I can promise you uh, the furthest thing from that. Dr. Fauci. I get actually (laughs) get that about once a week if there's any relation. And, you know, if you look closer at my ID, it's not spelled the same. So the answer is no. Um, But we'll start off with uh, Domas. So Domas had a left knee contusion, a bone bruise, as good as it could possibly get, I would say. Um, cause it feels like he's not going to miss extended time. Now you never know, but he's questionable for Wednesday's matchup against the Hornets. I think we dodged a bullet there. And then Karis LeVert. All right. He underwent successful surgery to treat a renal cell carcinoma on his left kidney. And he's expected to make a full recovery. Now, while we don't know the timeline yet, I feel like this couldn't be really any more positive that, there's no more treatment that's going to be needed on this. Yeah, I mean, the Pacers did come out and say that uh, Lavert is out indefinitely, while Sabonis is day-to-day. So we'll see if Sabonis does play against Charlotte on Wednesday or maybe Friday in the, in the second half of that, that you know, series there. But when it comes to Lavert, 
I would say for people just to relax and not get overworked about it. Like it's great that this surgery was successful. He's on the road to recovery and he's going to come back. So whether it's, you know, at the beginning of March, whether it's at the beginning of April, whenever it is, I'm just glad that he's healthy. And we're finally going to see what he can look like in a Pacers uniform and all that stuff. So for fans that are asking about a timetable, nobody knows. And you'll find out probably when everybody else does via Twitter, via the Pacers PR team, they will let us know when that they when they think he's going to be ready to play. But I just think right now you have to be thankful that this is not a long-term serious thing and that everything is okay and he's hopefully going to have a, a full recovery. Exactly, because we got to be just, you know, you got to look at the bigger picture. This trade, there's a chance that this might have saved his life. I mean, yeah. we don't know when this would have been detected again. I mean, maybe you do another physical at the end of the year, maybe to close out the year. I mean, that's months from now. So the fact that it seems like it was cancerous, uh, I mean, just feels like, oh, my God, this is a blessing in disguise, this trade. Don't rush him back. Give him time. It sounds like he will suit up in a Pacers uniform by the end of the year, but we're not going to rush him back. And there's always a bigger picture here. I had tweeted out, you know, this is great news, you know, on the road to recovery. And someone went, how is this great news? You know, he could have been benign and said it's cancerous. Look, they detected this. They, they resolved it. He had successful surgery for a human being, not from a basketball standpoint. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, so very <laughs> excited for Levert over there. And the Pacers, obviously, look, they, they clearly had some sort of idea on, you know, if he was going to be able to play basketball again. And in the end, I cannot wait to see his debut. But as the human being himself, I'm very happy for him. I am too. And it's great to see, you know, just great to see this. Because if you go back and listen to Kevin Pritchard's press conference, I actually shared the clip on Twitter today, he said, I feel like the basketball gods are with us right now or something along those lines. Basically, like the basketball gods are looking down on us. And to get a break with Miles Turner's injury, if it's not to be long-term, same with same thing with Sabonis for, for our guy cares here to be able to come through and, and come through a successful surgery. And then the guy that I want to talk about in this opening segment, Fachi, the most is Jeremy Lamb. This guy had a gruesome injury against the Toronto Raptors 11 months ago Comes back Wednesday against the Dallas Mavericks. And in the last four games, I mean, this guy has been unbelievable. And I know it's early and it's only four games and it's a small sample size. But I really believe this version of Jeremy Lamb is here to stay. And I think we're looking at a potential six-man-of-the-year candidate. I would say I'm not going to argue anything like that because you remember last year I was saying I felt like he could be a six-man candidate. I really did feel like he could be one of the very best in the league off the bench. And the production we're getting out of him now, I just don't know if anyone could have predicted it because we're talking about a guy who already just played in a back-to-back coming off of an ACL tear. (laughs) I mean, I understand that Oladipo's injury being the ruptured quad tendon is way worse it's been two years and the guy hasn't played a back-to-back. So I'm shocked that Jeremy Lamb's been able to make a recovery like this. Um, and it's not just like a recovery and, he, and he's back. This guy's shooting 53.5% from the field, 41% from three. Both of those would be career highs. I mean, he's anchoring this bench unit. And just to throw a little bit of you know numbers out there, sure, it's only four games. Well, the Pacers are 2-0 when he plays above 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with Jeremy Lamb. I tell you, man, like 
I, I was I was very nervous about his comeback. I thought fans were putting too much pressure on him. They were their expectations to me were way too high, expecting him to come in and be the player that he is. He's better than what I think fans even expected. Oh, Just yeah. like we got to have him back in the starting lineup. Well, Bjorkman's like, no, we're actually going to keep him on the bench, and I I respect that because at the end of the day, when fully healthy, that's going to be his role, and I want to see him play like that. So. To be honest, Fachi, like I was nervous about him coming back and you know having success, but overall, I absolutely love the way that he's playing. And I think one thing that I've noticed the most from him is the improved three-point shot. Definitely. That that improved three-point shot has looked phenomenal. And as far as the Pacers go, <laughs> the way they're playing and the amount of threes they're one to take. You know, Jeremy Jeremy Lamb is always going to hit that little floater that he always throws up, mm-hmm. just as bread and butter. But if he can extend that three point shot and shoot it at a consistent rate, th- this dude's going to be tough. And that's just that's just Jeremy Lamb, man. He's just really good. And it feels like the one if you could try and find a blessing in an injury like that, I feel like most of the time it allows these players to really work on their shot. And I feel like Jeremy Lamb is showing just how much better of a three-point shooter you know he's gotten right now. And I also love the fact that we're seeing Lamb close out games. We're seeing him mm-hmm. in, in fourth quarter lineups at the end, showing that, hey, you know, Bjorkman has faith in him. This isn't just like a four-game, you know, uh, is this is this real or not? No. Look, I think he'll probably come a little bit down to earth just because he actually is playing the best basketball of his career if he just went off of like a numbers standpoint. But this guy has, is so valuable to the Pacers at a time where they're so thin on bodies. I mean, between T.J. Warren being out and you just traded Oladipo and Levert's out. And now it's like, you know, Sabonis had his injury. You know, luckily it seems to be working out. And Miles had his. It was like the Pacers were so thin on bodies that it's like Lamb came to the rescue at the perfect time. No, and I thought one thing that was awesome last night was seeing him play the small four, mm-hmm. um, the small ball four with that second unit because – Bjorkren has been starting Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott in the absence of Warren and Levert with the three starters, Sabonis, Turner, and Brogdon. And so when you look at that second unit, you're thinking, okay, um, Goga really hadn't been given a shot much, and Aaron Holiday had been playing, and TJ McConnell's been playing, Sumner hadn't been playing, and then and then Lamb was getting minutes. So you're talking about an eight- to nine-man rotation, and that rotation got extended to 11 last night where we got to see Cassius Stanley. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But what I want to say is for, for Jeremy Lamb to play out there with McConnell, Aaron Holiday, and Edmund Sumner, that's a pretty small lineup. And, and Gogo was playing the, the five, which was great to see him get some minutes. But I thought Lamb being able to play that four, Toronto's not super big. They got a lot of different wing players. They're not like dominant at the four or five position. Um, they've got a couple of fives that are good, but nobody that's just a big bruiser. So I think it was very matchup. Um, you know, the matchup was very favorable for the Pacers to play a smaller lineup with Edmund Sumner, giving him a chance. But that was great. And, and we talk about it last year, you know, it was kind of like, oh, we didn't have Sabonis. That's why we missed the, You know, that's why the playoffs were so bad. We would have won at least two games in the playoffs if we had Sabonis. And then we kind of were like, yeah, he didn't have Lamb either. You know, like we kind of threw it in there, but we didn't think like, oh, he would have made that big of a difference. The way he's playing right now, Fachi, I think if you have that type of player in the playoffs, I mean, they could have they could have obviously competed a little bit better with Miami had Lamb been healthy. So I think it's a good reminder to all of us why the Pacers were so invested in Jeremy Lamb and just how good this guy can be. Without a doubt, Jeremy Lamb is coming off of a career year when he left Charlotte, and for the money that he, that he signed by, I was still stunned the Pacers were able to, to work that out. I think it was like – Basically, three years, $33 million. 
Uh, it just felt like an absolute steal. And yeah, you throw in, you know, Domas, Jeremy Lamb, even a healthy Oladipo. I mean, it's impossible to imagine that the Pacers would not have given the Heat all they can handle, especially when we saw that, you know, the Milwaukee really struggled against against the Heat. And it just it just felt like, you know, the Heat were really going through a lot of teams that the, the Pacers, sure, they got swept, but still played them pretty tough. Um, but you throw in Jeremy Lamb in there, and I mean, come on. He, he's definitely going to make a difference. I still just do not understand how he's looking this good coming off of the injury when we fully expected him to be eased in there. But we saw clips from his rehab in the offseason, and, and as the last season you know, was winding down, they were going to the bubble, and the guy, he looked good, but it just felt like one of those, like like you saw with Oladipo, like, oh, wow, like, have you seen how he looks? Looks great. You know, he's going to be amazing, but, you know, it'll, it'll take time. No, 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 Jeremy Lamb looks really good right now. No, he really does, Fachi, and – I'm just excited for him as an individual because that's a lot of hard work and that's that's a rough rehab. 11 months going through rehab, you know, with that torn. I think he tore both his ACL and his MCL, if I'm not mistaken, when the whole injury happened. So it's been a while. I haven't really refreshed my memory on that whole situation. But, yeah, I mean, it was tough. And so I'm glad he's back out there. I'm glad that he's playing at a high level. And I'm glad that Bjorkman's using him the right way and, you know, playing to his strengths, keeping him on the bench, letting him play that six-man role. But finishing out games, why we don't have Warren and Levert, you know, I think there could be times where he maybe does finish out games and you only play one of the bigs, depending on the matchups. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about Lamb for the whole podcast, but I know we can't. And there's a lot of other things we need to talk about. So let's take a quick break. And, we come, and when we come back, let's talk about one of the Pacers' bigs that's been playing like an all-star recently and Miles Turner and another guy that's been playing like an all-star, Malcolm Brogdon. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're going to talk about two guys that have been playing out of their mind recently, and that's Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. Fachi, where would you like to start? So let's go with Malcolm Brogdon because this is a guy who – it's like the little things off the court that make all the difference. Now, Brogdon had a rough game against the Raptors on Sunday. I mean, 5 of 22 shooting – uh, I think it was like one of 10 from, from three, you know, just, just rough. So what are you going to do about it? H how are you going to get better? Well, he was on the phone with Nate Bjorkman, like just talking about everything, about adjustments and everything. And well, I love what he said is uh, Brogdon said that he was so angry about that game that he was incredibly locked in for Monday night's game. And he said that him and Bjorkman think the same. They're always thinking about the game of basketball. They both hate losing. It drives them crazy. And you know what? Brogdon came out aggressive, made the adjustments, scores a career high, 36 points. Unbelievable. <laughs> he was un – that's the word for it. He was unbelievable last night. He was extremely efficient. Uh, nine assists, seven rebounds. I mean, he gave every he gave you everything he could possibly give. And that guy, I still stand by it. That's better than the Malcolm Brogdon we thought the Pacers were making a move for. He is truly – gotten better and better last year there was injuries that held him back a little bit this year he's healthy there's no doubt this guy isn't an all-star no and i think he could you could arguably say that he is the best player on this pacers team yes, right now and he's playing like it and one thing that i found interesting was through some reporting that i have heard people say on their podcast and other stuff i don't want to say names but Basically, they said that Brogdon and Oladipo just did not mesh well together. Their personalities did not fit one another. And they think that the move for Levert 
really will help Brogdon uh, personality-wise with how he meshes with, uh, with Levert compared to Oladipo. So that's a positive. We're going back to that phone call that you talked about on Sunday night, which I think is an awesome talking point. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Bjorken got pretty heated during the game, right? Oh, yeah. Got, him, got a technical foul, his first technical foul in his NBA coaching career. After that, the Pacers attempted 32 free throws mm-hmm. after that technical foul. And Bjorkren said this in Scott Agnes's co- uh, in column today. I just wanted to stick up for Malcolm. I was trying to get our guys to attack the rim more and to attack that paint, whether to finish or for kickout threes. And I just wanted to let the guys know that I was upset with the call and I was sticking up for them. Well, that changed the trajectory of the entire game. The pace got to the free throw line over 40 times outside. I believe it was 46, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I uh, don't have the stats in front of me, but that is a like franchise record. And it's been like almost over a decade since the Pacers, I believe, put that many free throw attempts up in a game. So I just, I commend Malcolm Brogdon last night. I think he had, how many, uh, how many free throw attempts did he have last night? Uh, Brogdon had 14 and Miles Turner had 16. Gotta absolutely yeah. love it. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, when you're looking at Malcolm Brogdon, what is one thing that I've been harping on about him the entire time that we've been here? He's got to get to the free throw line. He's six foot five, 230 pounds, get to the free throw line. And last night he did, and look at the game he had. A career high, 36 points, nine assists, seven rebounds. He was everywhere. And not only that, he shut Kyle Lowry down. Yes, Kyle did. Lowry did not play well last night, got ejected from the game with 47 seconds. Malcolm Brogdon just had his way. And Van Vliet played really good against him on Sunday. The Raptors were just killing Sabonis and and Malcolm Brogdon. I think they shot six of 32. Oh on my Sunday. God, it was it was disgusting. Yeah. And they only lost by five. And so that mm-hmm. goes to show you how deep this Pacers team has been playing, like the depth of this team has been playing well. So, yeah, I just – Malcolm Brogdon, I knew that he was not going to have another game like that. It's not like him to have back-to-back games where he plays so poorly. And that was just a phenomenal game by Malcolm. And it makes – you know, Fach, I think you said it right. He's better than what we expected we were getting um, when we signed him two years ago. He really is. And, Alex, the relationship between Brogdon and Bjorkren is everything you could ever hope for between your point guard and head coach. Mm. And it started immediately. It started from the second they hired Bjorkren. And I, I love it because, you know, that, you know, Nate flew out there. They, they met. They had, like, lunch, dinner, whatever it was, just talking. And it seems like this relationship's really grown and I feel like we're seeing just how close it was. Like when you when you talked about you know Scott Agnes's report on how Bjorken stood up for Brogdon, got the technical, you know that got the guys fired up, and like stuff like that, it, it makes all the difference. And, and I just I couldn't be happier for Brogdon because he responded to a rough game. He didn't let it linger and and, and drag over into, into the next game. Nope, he responded. Ten of seventeen shooting. I mean, just he was huge last night. And when you mentioned about Oladipo and Brogdon, I feel like we all we all really wanted them to mesh together. But I don't know, from various reports of things that we heard of, is it is it Brogdon's team? Is it Oladipo's team? It kind of felt like a matter of time of like, I just don't think that's going to work. And I love where this Pacers culture is at right now. Everyone's bought in. Everyone is bought in, and that's including – Center and Defensive Player of the Year candidate Miles Turner. Miles Turner has been on a tear, Fachi. I, I'm telling you what, 
I've harped on this guy a lot, and I know a lot of people have come at me for my takes on Miles Turner, and I will just flat out say the Miles Turner that we're seeing this year is a Miles Turner that I always hoped we would get when Larry Bird called him possibly the next best pacer uh, yeah. in franchise history because I saw it that second year. I was excited for Turner. I thought, okay, we're going to really see him take off. Has 30 points, 16 rebounds the first night against the Dallas Mavericks. I'll never forget it. And then something changed. Something changed with him. And I believe last night Turner said it in the post-game press conference. Mentally, he's in a better spot than he was. And that is where it's always been with Turner. It's not about the on-the-floor on, on skill set. It's about the mentality stuff. And with him being mentally more focused, getting things out of his head that were bothering him from before, I, I just tell you, with that, also with the trade rumors and the trade that did not go through for Gordon Hayward – from what Boston reporters were saying, from what Pacers reporters were saying, like, hey, the Pacers said, hey, we're going to trade you. Boston said, we don't want him. He's not good enough. You know, all that stuff combined with the new system under Nate Bjorkren, this is what is making Miles Turner the guy that can be an all-star. And, you know, I'll be honest. Like, you guys can come at me all you want because I was wrong. I was like, this guy just doesn't have it. We need to trade him. And right now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm meeting those words. I was wrong. I, I think this guy, well, I don't know he's, if he's the best Pacer player, he's definitely been the most crucial Pacer player this season because of his defense. This defense would be absolutely garbage if he was not out there. And a lot of that's on the way that they're the, the defensive scheme has been set up. But Miles Turner has not only been so effective and impactful on defense, but he's become a seven-foot shooting guard on the offensive end with his ability to cut, put the ball on the floor, and, you know, when he has a smaller matchup, get in the post. So I'm just, you know, I, I can't say enough great things about Miles Turner this year, and if he continues to play this way, I I don't see why Turbonus can't be a long-term thing. Hey, Alex, I'll heat up a dish of those words right with you and eat right next to you because I'm guilty of it too. I mean, Miles Turner is playing – the best basketball of his career. Now, maybe not in like a small five-game stretch. He is a different player this year. When you yep. mentioned he's tuned all that out, we know how much it got to him in the past. I'm pretty sure he had either like deactivated his social media a year ago or he took a break from it, whatever it was. This is a guy who even – it summed it up even yesterday. He grabbed a rebound yesterday and got fouled, and the way he did it was – it was like a man rebound. I mean – he took a swing in the arms. He got fouled. He was mouthing off a curse word. Like, it was an aggressive Miles Turner that we have all been waiting for. And lately, when you talked about, about being the most important pacer, I definitely think a strong argument could be made for that. Because, yes, on paper, Sabonis is always going to have the stats, all that. But I think Brogdon could be, you know, the, the, the most important, whatever, whatever it is, the best player, whatever, however you want to put it. Miles Turner is, like, the most crucial yeah. Because you saw when his absence against the Clippers and the Mavs, oh my God, it was disgusting. Both teams abused the Pacers in the paint. I yeah. want to say that the Clippers had close to 70 points in the paint without Miles Turner. He acknowledged it, how it hurt him to not be out there. The Pacers gave up, I think it was like 126 and a half points in that two-game stretch. Uh, but since he's come back from the fractured wrist, I don't understand how this makes sense at all, but he's putting up 20 points per game just left and right. I mean, he's now scored 20 points per game, uh, 20 or more in four of the last five games. And in that stretch, to make it better, since he did miss a couple games, the Pacers are four and one 
in those five games. Mm-hmm. All right. He's doing on the on the rebounding side of things. I mean, he's rebounded nine or more rebounds in uh, it's three of the no four of the last five. So he, he's do, he's bringing on the, on the glass, which has always been kind of like you always hoped Turner would rebound the ball a bit more. And from a shot blocking standpoint, nothing even needs to be said. He is the best shot blocker in the league by far. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's really taken his game to the next level where if you just looked at the, the actual stats, his numbers are pretty much identical to um, his second year of like the 14 and a half points, the seven rebounds. But you have to look way further than that because he's averaging double the blocks. He's just getting way more threes up there. Like he, there's just something so different about him that is so refreshing to see and he deserves it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it's the motivation it's it's the ability to play in a system that I think complements his skill set more than Coach Nate McMillan's. I mean, McMillan basically used him as a stretch five mm-hmm. and didn't have him move from the paint, basically. Or, I mean, from the three-point line. So that's why I, I think with Bjorkren, like, I, there's been a couple times where you've seen him cut. I think he had a really nice cut on, I want to say it was Sunday. I can't remember, but he had a really nice cut where Brogdon was in the corner and Brogdon found him and he, and he dunked the ball. It's like... Just him doing different off-ball movements, getting more threes up in the game, shooting with confidence, not hesitating, you know, being able to put the ball on the floor. Like, sure, there's going to be times when he turns the ball over and it's not the prettiest thing in the world and whatever. But I'm just saying, like, from a guy that was really frustrated with him as a player and a guy that didn't really care if he was on this roster or not, he, he's he's proven that he's irreplaceable right now and the Pacers are a top five, top ten team. When when Miles Turner and the uh, and then in this team that we've seen so far without Levert and Warren, when they're fully healthy, like the best version of the Pacers right now is with Miles Turner on the court. It, it very much is. And look, I'm going to be honest. When it looked like Sabonis wasn't coming back because it didn't make sense for him to come back yesterday, I was like, this is the exact kind of game where we're going to need Miles Turner to step up, and he did. And Miles Turner in the second half was was phenomenal. I mean, like I mentioned before. The 16 free throws that he shot was everything you could possibly ask for. He was 11 of 16 from the line. I mean, that's that's double the, the amount of free throws he's had in any game this year. So his high coming into a game was against Golden State. He was 5 of 8. So you saw a far more aggressive miles, and I think that's always going to bold better for a Pacers team. Obviously, look, we know if there isn't Sabonis there, yes, miles is going to be a bigger part of the offense but they found a way to have it work for both players. And now we get to the point where we're talking about, you know, you and I talked a little bit offline. Is he an all-star? Now, look, it's the Pacers are in a spot right now where if he was going to be an all-star, I think he would be the third all-star for the Pacers. So that only comes with winning a lot of games. So I think in order for the Pacers to have three all-stars, they would really have to be in that, you know, you got to think like a top two seed in the East, but it's also a shame that it even feels like defensive player of the year wise. He's not even getting the credit. So it's (laughs) like, where is this guy going to fall? Is he not going to be an all-star and not going to be a defensive player of the year or not even on defensive team because you got guys like Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis. I mean, it's like, it's tough. It's tough out there, Alex, but (laughs) this man needs some credit. No, it, it, he does need credit. It's not really tough. It's just called laziness by people not watching Miles yes. Turner and giving him the credit he's he's due. Like, sure, you can turn on your TV and see him beat, and you can see Anthony Davis every single 
you know, week if you want because they're on national TV a lot more. And then Rudy Gobert has just got the reputation because he's already a former defensive player of the year. Like, Miles Turner is at, like, four-point-something blocks per game, and the next guy that's close to him is Rudy Gobert, but he's only in the twos. It's like he's a whole, like, one-point-plus ahead of, of Gobert in the, in the shot blocks per game. And it's like, okay. And then you just look at the way he's impacted people from attacking the rim. Like, even if he doesn't block the shot, just his presence is huge. He's been really good on switching onto smaller guards when he's had to. Like, sure, there's going to be times where they might get that first step on him, but with his length and his recovery, he's able to get back and block that shot, alter that shot. That's just who Miles Turner is right now. And so I think one of the things when we talked about him being an all-star, I put a list out today of guys that were just like candidates that I'm looking at that I've seen have been playing well all year long. There's a case for like 26 guys to make this 12-man Eastern Conference All-Star team. So it's going to be tough. I don't anticipate him getting on the All-Star team. I think he should be in consideration. But I think you maybe get one one out of the three between Brogdon, Sabonis, and Turner. Yeah. And maybe two if we're lucky, but I would be maybe. surprised. It would have mm-hmm. to be a coach's vote, probably, that, that got one of our guys in. But right now, I think as much as I love Sabonis and he's my favorite player, I think Brogdon is the front runner for me, and he should be the All-Star, even though – um, you know, he's had a couple bad shooting games, just what he's doing on both ends of the floor. He has been the most proven all-star to me. But I will say this. If you go back and look at that Mavericks game of the Pacers lost, what did Malcolm Brogdon say? He said, we miss Miles back there. We need Miles. He said that. Then on, on, on Monday night, he called Miles Turner an all-star. When, when the face of your franchise right now, Malcolm Brogdon, that's what he is, you know, Sabonis might be the guy that people are more familiar with, but Malcolm Brogdon is evolving into that face of the franchise. When he's out there, he's a team leader. He is building up Miles Turner the way that he is. It's only helping Miles' confidence. And so I 100%. think having the leadership from Bjorkren, a guy who's super positive, d- down the line with Malcolm Brogdon, those two guys are not only helping Turner keep this positivity going, but they're encouraging him and, and motivating him to keep proving why he is a, a great player in this league. And everybody should. I mean, why not pump that positivity uh, into him? Because it feels it's obvious that he feeds off of it. Yep. Like it, when things were negative. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but a long time ago, you know, when I spoke with um, Jordan Hill, Jordan Hill mentioned that he played with Miles as a rookie, and the downside was he was so hard on himself after bad games. So that's been going on for years. I mean, it's like he's he's gone through the different changes. He he physically changed his body a couple of years ago. If you remember, he gave up all, all like the the fast food, and he was doing all the hot yoga and everything, and <laughs> he really did you know change his body for the better, but. Clearly, we're seeing that mentally the confidence was almost equally, if not more important than his physical body. And I love that he's finally been able to really make all those changes. And we're seeing a happier, more confident, aggressive Miles Turner. And the Pacers are the one reaping the benefits. Absolutely. And it's not the Boston Celtics who could actually use a center. So, you know, kudos kudos to Miles Turner for you know, allowing that whole situation to be used as motivation and the Pacers are getting the benefit of it, like you said, Fachi. So let's take our final break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the young guys getting some playing time last night in that one over the Raptors, and we're also going to do a little bit of a Charlotte Hornets preview, and I know you will have a, uh, a guest in between games on Fachi Fridays to discuss what happened in the first game and 
preview the second game, but I think it'd be good for us to just look at this Hornets team and, and what they uh, what they bring to the table. So we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're going to talk about the young guys and how they had a great impact on last night's game. So, Fachi, where do you want to start off? you got to start off with Goga because I feel like that's the guy we just want to see more of. He's like the mystery box. You know, plays against the Clippers. I think he played like a couple of seconds against the Mavs, I think. Um, or no, a couple seconds against the, the Magic. Yeah. That's what it was. Um, and, you know, obviously his showing against the Clippers wasn't great. To not see him play the next game was like, oh, man, like we cannot be pulling the plug. And it was nice to see him play some decent minutes yesterday. Played like 11 minutes, you know, responded with 10 points, uh, two blocks. I mean, he, you know, he didn't impact the game for, you know, a great, you know, he didn't have a, a huge impact. He was actually like minus two uh, on the game. But at the same point, it was enough to like give this man some reps, let him have some takes, let him improve on things like drawing some fouls, like uh, setting good screens, like, Little things like that that we're going to need because if Sabonis did have a long-term injury, which sounds like we avoided, Goga would have been someone that's basically getting thrown in the fire. So yeah. I like the idea of uh, Goga getting some playing time. Come on, we can break off 10 minutes a game. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why he can't get at least, at least four minutes per half just to, yeah. just to give Domas a little bit of a break. But not only that, this guy needs to develop. And this is one thing I wanted to hit on. We love Domas Sabonis. There's no doubt about it. I think a lot of Pacer fans are just thrilled with how he has developed. But you think about it. When he, when he got traded to the Pacers, he was a backup center. He would, he played behind Miles Turner. Now, there were not you know two centers on the team. I understand that uh, competing with Domas for minutes. I mean, Al Jefferson was there, but he pretty much uh, became a third-string center and let those guys play in front of him. And the Pacers went with a younger uh, more unproven, I guess you could say, uh, tandem there with Sabonis and Turner. And, and now we're seeing Sabonis and Turner start together, but Gogo hasn't really been getting consistent minutes off the bench. But I want to go back to my Sabonis point whenever he was here for the first year with the Pacers. That first year in Indiana, his second year in the NBA, he had a solidified role under Nate McMillan. And they ran a lot of the offense there, and we know why. Sabonis is really good. But so is Goga Batadze. And I know a lot of people, like, he comes in the game, people are already calling him trash. I, I didn't understand that at all. It's like saying that he's awful. Like, people, would you just give this guy a chance to showcase his skill set before we start name-calling, before we start writing him off and calling him the next TJ Leaf? Like, no, this guy has talent. Look at what he did at the free throw line. That shot was smooth when he shot from the free throw line. He had a nice little behind-the-head shot that he threw up in the middle of the game. He's got skill set, and the only way he's going to get out there and showcase who he is is if he's given an opportunity. If he's not given an opportunity, then he's never going to be able to grow. And unfortunately, you know, we thought he was going to have a bigger role under Bjorkren, and Bjorkren's actually ran a, a lot tighter of a rotation than I think a lot of fans anticipated. And a lot of young guys are the ones that are losing uh, the opportunities to showcase themselves. So, yeah, I'm I'm very not emotional about this, but I'm very, you know, like, hey, let's just pump the brakes. Let's give Goga a, a good chance to prove what he is before we start writing him off. And I think last night against the Raptors, in those minutes, I think he played 10 minutes last night. Is that right, Fachi? He is 11 minutes. Yeah. 11 minutes. That's that's a perfect amount for him to play. He doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to be closing games. Play him at the beginning of the of the second and fourth quarters or play him at the end of the first and the third, end of the second and fourth, 
and then put the guys back in when the game is really on the line that you trust. But in those moments where the other teams are playing their subs, give him an opportunity because he's got skill set. And I think that if he has a defined role, he will only get better if he's able to know what he can do. Yeah, I don't understand why the cool thing is to, like, hate on Goga. Like, we're not looking to have, like, who's going to take the TJ Leaf spot. Like, no, I don't want anyone to take that spot. I want Goga to be who we, we hoped he could be. And, look, when you take a guy in the first round, like, you're, there's expectations. I mean, he was a top 20 pick, 18th overall, to be specific. And I feel like we can't write him off when it feels like last year was – was like a, like a freebie year. You know, he really didn't get the time to develop. This feels like his true rookie year. So let the man swim. You know, it, it can't be a sink or swim. You play him one game and then all of a sudden he's yanked for a did not play coach decision. You know, you don't know who's going to be healthy at the end of the year. And I would rather have someone who's gotten the reps, been able to shake off some rust and learn as the season goes on, then all of a sudden – God forbid something happens to Sabonis or Turner at the end of the year, and then Goga just needs to play 30 minutes per game because Bjorken's rotation's that thin. I mean, when you talked about that, Alex, I had no idea that he would really be going with like an eight-man rotation all the time. Yeah. We saw him expand it a bit, but it's going to be necessary to expand it because, like I mentioned, you don't know who's going to be playing quality minutes at the end of the year, and the best way to be ready is to stay ready. So, yeah. See what we can do. No, I agree with all that, and, and it's a great point. You need to, you know, while I like Jakar Sampson, he should not be getting third-string center exactly. minutes. Um, exactly. He's signed to a, well, he's signed to a minimum contract for yeah. one year. You have Goga Batadze on a rookie contract where you can keep him for at least at least nine years, more than likely. You got, you got your four-year rookie deal plus the extension that you can match when he's a restricted free agent. So, you know, they drafted him because they thought, hey, this gives us leverage to move on from, from one of our bigs if we feel like we need to, especially when they were unsure about if Sabonis was going to sign back or not, right? So mm-hmm. you had that, and then, of course, they even looked at possibly moving Turner this past offseason. I think a lot of that goes into play with they, they believe in Goga. Um, Kevin Pritchard said it on his introductory press conference for Goga Batadze. He said, I think this guy's ready to play right now, and that was in 2019, the summer of 2019, I believe, right? So. Yep. That just goes to show you, like, hey, this guy's got skills. Let's just pump the brakes and let's give him an opportunity. But speaking of opportunity, Edmund Sumner was a guy that started when when Victor Oladipo went out and and set out the back-to-back against the Warriors. And then when they traded Victor, he played the next two games against Portland and the Clippers. And then all of a sudden, he's not in the rotation when Jeremy Lamb Lamb came back. And I was a little bit dumbfounded by that because I thought Edmund Sumner did a great job in those games that he played, he was not really a negative. Was he a great was he a great person to have on the court? He wasn't the best, but at the same time, he was a good player. And it would really do the Pacers justice to get him in the game for maybe 10 to 12 minutes just to give Malcolm a bit of a break because I really like what Edmund Sumner's brought to the table this year. Well, definitely. Sumner at times has that capability to be an X factor, like a, a spark, you know, when, when you really need it most. And we saw that, I mean, against – Portland against Golden State, those were quality games. I mean, he didn't shoot great against Portland, but he played really good defense. And I feel like that's something where even like the Clippers game enabled him to still, you know, log 20 plus minutes, you know, get some touches in there. But all of a sudden against Orlando, barely even plays two and a half minutes. I mean, 
I feel like his whole career has been stop and go. It's like you get some minutes there, but then sometimes you get no minutes or we don't see him for long stretches of time. I feel like Sumner is probably the exact kind of guy that when I mentioned, you don't know who's going to be playing quality minutes for you at the end of the year. I feel like that's the kind of guy who would be nice to get into a groove. So towards the end of the year, you don't have to have such a thin rotation. You can play Sumner some quality minutes. I mean, we saw him in the bubble have like a really big game. I'm pretty sure he scored like 17 points or something of the sort. I mean, that's someone that you want to be able to instill confidence in. And I feel like even though this is a year four for Sumner, I still consider him like the young player on this team. It feels like he's younger than he is because he still hasn't been able to get those consistent minutes for a long stretch. And I would like it if he could. No, I would too. I, I think when, when I think of Sumner, I think of a guy that we really didn't expect much out of, a second-round pick. And then when he's played, he's actually been pretty productive, but then he doesn't get to stay in the rotation. And I don't know. It's kind of like you didn't really know who he was or what he was going to be. And all of a sudden, you know, he, he you know, definitely executed expectations. But this year, like, he's not played a lot. And I understand, like, the Pacers have a lot of guards. A lot of guards are going to play heavy minutes, especially when fully healthy with Levert, Jeremy Lamb, T.J. Warren, Malcolm Brogdon, and then, of course, uh, Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday. No, he's not going to crack the rotation. I'm not expecting him to. But at the same time, when you have so many injuries, I think that this is a guy that, quite frankly, he could be starting right now, and you could put McDermott back on the bench, have him play a little bit of small ball four. But, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening either. Just, just because when it, when it comes to McDermott and, and those kind of guys, you know, you can just you rely on his three-point shooting a little bit more, and his defense with that second unit might be pretty bad. So it's, it's kind of smart how Bjorkman's doing this whole rotation. But, yeah, I, I think Sumner has proven that he's worthy of getting a little bit more of a, of a solidified role. I know I keep saying that, but I think that he deserves one just as much as Goga does. And someone that might – honestly be on the hot seat for losing some minutes is Aaron Holiday. Like, don't get me wrong. This guy is some of the Pacers truly believe in when McMillan was here. He personally, I think if you look at last year when Aaron Holiday played overall, he was better last year under McMillan than he has been in this small sample size of Nate Bjorkman. I don't know if it's a system. I don't know if it's just the opportunities not there to showcase his skill set. but there's a lot of different things that go into. And I think, Unfortunately, it's a good and bad thing. Bjorkren just has all of his trust thrown into the TJ McConnell basket right now. And how can you blame him for how great TJ McConnell plays in the regular season? But I really think if Aaron Holiday is the guy that you're looking to grow for the long term, he's got to get some minutes running that second unit by himself as a point guard. It's, it's unfair to TJ McConnell to maybe take some of that responsibility away from him. And I don't anticipate the Pacers doing that. So um, I'll make this point quick, but I think if you look at the trajectory of this team going forward and how they're going to have to pay these guys, Aaron Holiday is a name that's been out there in trade rumors since he's been a part of the Pacers organization, since he got drafted in 2018. And personally for me, I like Aaron Holiday. I think he's a good player, a little too inconsistent for him to get a role, a bigger role than he has. But I think he needs to get an opportunity, like all these other young guys, to showcase what he really is. But if you're going to sign him to a contract, you know, which we know is coming up soon, and you got all this other money tied into your five starters plus Jeremy Lamb and Gogo Batadze and Justin Holiday, you know, not that they're making a ton of money, but 
how much are you paying this guy to keep him? And is he worth keeping or is he worth trading or is it better off to trade him and maybe get something back that helps you in the long term? Because if he's an undersized two Fachi, that's just, it's just, there's so many limitations with it. He's in this spot where you just don't know what he is. I mean, at, at six foot, that's what he's listed as. Maybe he's even five eleven and and a bit. I don't know. He's definitely an undersized two. He's not a true point guard. It's like he's stuck in that in between. And I have such a soft spot for Aaron Holiday. I've always rooted for him. I remember the times where he would just get absolutely yanked by Nate McMillan and just not play for a while. And then he, I felt like he earned. His minutes, he was he was pretty good last year. He really was. Double figures in points per game, shot roughly 40% from three. This year, I don't know what it is, but he is cold. And, I mean, even in January, it, it hasn't gotten any better. I mean, this is a guy that from the start of January on, he's averaging just over six points per game, 2.3 assists. He's shooting 32% from the field, 27% from three. I mean, Alex. Even in the games where he's put up double-figure scoring, he hasn't scored above. He hasn't shot above thirty-eight percent in any of those. So, for, from a shooting standpoint, it just has not been there. Um, I think overall, just his play hasn't been where it should be. But you know, Bjorkman has not given up on him. I think that we can't give up on Aaron Holiday yet. But yes, when you're talking about career trajectory. There's no sign that that T.J. McConnell is going to be with the Pacers pe- uh, past this year. Aaron Holiday is someone that has drawn interest in the past. I don't know what his trade value currently is. It felt like it was like a first-round pick in the past. After having a rough year, I wouldn't think that it's the same. But you got to know, like, hey, what are we doing here? Because he's supposed to be a vital part to this team off the bench. I mean, if you had Aaron Holiday clicking and Jeremy Lamb clicking and TJ Warren's back and Levert, and all of a sudden you could pull McDermott and Justin Holiday out of that, that starting lineup or however you want to do it, I mean, that makes that Pacers bench deep. But right now it's like, I hope we can continue to expect this out of Jeremy Lamb for a while. But Aaron Holiday, I'm going to be honest, Alex, I don't know what I'm getting each night. Yeah, and that's the problem. And it's not a... It's not to say that he can't, you know, right the ship. It's not saying that he can't be a part of this Pacers team long-term because I think the long-term goal is for him to be a part of it because he's just a good guy, a good locker room guy, and he does have skill sets. Like, he can be that spark plug for you off the bench because he can't score the basketball. He's a streaky three-point shooter. Sure, I'll give you that, but he's not bad at getting into the paint, and Honestly, when he in the role that he's asked, he does a great job. He doesn't complain because if you think about it, if you're the third or fourth option on offense every single time you're on the court and you feel like you're a scorer, it's tough. And that's why I think he played so well in that Warriors game when the, when he helped the Pacers win. I think he had 12 assists in that game and 16 points. Like, yep. yeah, that you know why? Because the ball was in his hands a little bit more. He was definitely you know up the pecking order in terms of we were relying on you. But that just goes to show how deep this team is. They don't need to rely on Aaron Holiday, and they put him more in a lesser role. And it may be hurting him a little bit, maybe hurting his stock a little bit. But at the same time, you know, he's got to prove that he can be more consistent. And I think if he can do that, because there's been some times this year where he's really been bad on defense, like just a certain matchups, like he's just getting torched. But I thought he played decent last night against Fred Van Vliet when he was in there uh, in the short amount of time. Like, 
sure, Van Vliet had a great game efficiency-wise, but it wasn't like it was easy. And I think these are the kind of teams that Aaron Holiday can thrive against when they match up a little bit better with him. Being a little bit smaller in that backcourt with Lowry and Van Vliet, it benefits Aaron Holiday. But if you're going up against a team that's a lot bigger, like a Philadelphia or somebody like that, it's going to be hard for him because these guys are just a little bit bigger than him. And playing him and McConnell next to each other, I don't think is an ideal fit for him. No. And that's that's where the issue in lies, and it's not going to change. But at the same time, I just hope that Aaron makes the most of it. And if the Pacers feel like they have gotten the best out of Aaron Holiday and there's teams that want him, I say if he's a valuable trade asset and you can maybe get something that makes more sense to go along with this team, then you look at it. But I'm not saying trade him to trade him. I'm not saying he deserves to be traded. But if he's a guy that people want, I think you look long and hard at it because – even if he does become the backup point guard at some point, he's still not going to have that big of a role with all the other wings ahead of him. No, and, and I, I would hope that he could flourish on another team, but I do think if the Pacers had made a move and and unloaded Aaron Holiday, I don't think it would be something that would come and bite them you know, and say, oh, wow, we really regretted that. I wonder how that would go in terms of Justin Holiday signing a three-year deal re-upping there that could you know ruffle some feathers there but you got to be professional here so who knows I just hope this is something that Aaron Holiday can shoot himself out of because I still got confidence just we need to see something a little bit more out of him and it's not like it's been like inconsistent in terms of like oh my god he was really good one night and then it's like no we just have not seeing the guy progress from where he was at last year it's been frustrating because we know he's talented but you know I think also the expectation was when the Pacers brought in TJ McConnell it was like to be like a a veteran mentor to Aaron Holiday not to be the guy that you know is taking his minutes but I mean how could you sit McConnell he's he's the definition of a spark plug I've never seen a guy average four and a half points that's this impactful on a team say you know that's not like a center you know, I mean, yeah. T.J. McConnell is, is getting it done right now. I mean, last year, loved his assist-to-turnover ratio. Five assists, 1.4 turnovers. Alex, he's topping it this year. Five and a half assists to 1.4 turnovers. Wow. So, I mean, five assists to one turnover per game. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, for a man that doesn't shoot threes, uh, the fact that he's just as impactful as he is from a steal standpoint – ridiculous stat so this guy he just finally because he played a lot of minutes last night shocker when you're dealing with you know Bjorkman but uh now he's averaging 1.9 steals per roughly 20 minutes which was the best ratio since Nate McMillan (laughs) early 90s the irony (laughs) you just can't get away from McMillan but uh (laughs) you know there, there he is I mean just just a great stat so we've we've praised him before but it's another guy that Unfortunately, it's not helping Aaron Holiday that T.J. McConnell is feeling like he can't be replaced at this time. No, and and you could tell when McConnell wasn't there, the Pacers did miss him. Oh, yes. And and a couple of those losses earlier against Phoenix and Sacramento. But uh, we could talk about the young guys all day. I think real quick, Cassius Stanley got a few minutes in there again. We saw that uh, against the Suns when he got in there a little bit. and He actually played well. So it is – it is cool to see the second stringer, or I'm not second stringer, second rounder, excuse me. Yes. Get a little bit of time, and um, we'll see what uh, what Bjorkman's long term plans are for him. But I like his athleticism, and you know, similar to Edmund Sumner, second round pick, and it's going to be hard for him to crack the rotation. But 
at the same time, you know, they got him on a two-way contract. And if they feel like he's a guy that could maybe replace one of these wing guys eventually when their contracts expire, like, I don't know, like it's, it's worth keeping him around because he he's a hustler. And I, and I haven't been like, Oh my God, Cassius Stanley's on the floor every single time he's been out on yeah. the court. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of times you're like, Oh God, TJ leaf minutes. Oh God. Know. You know, so-and-so minutes. But like when Stanley's out there, it's like, Oh cool. Let's see what he can do. And he, he usually is pretty impactful and in a small way, if he's not negative, I think it's good. And that's the thing. If he can just sustain and be a positive, a plus zero, that's that's me is all I'm asking for for Stanley right now. But yeah, um, do you have any quick thoughts on Stanley? Just basically, my expectations for him are just so low that it's if he does anything positive, it, it's just great. Yeah, you know, like it, oh it's my god, where, yeah, it's like anything. Oh, we had a block yesterday, like yeah, you know, it, it's at the point where it's like I think he's like everybody has that soft spot for him that you know he could, it's almost like he could do no wrong right now. He doesn't play enough to to like negatively affect this team uh, and cause like a loss or anything. But it's just kind of almost a little bit funny that our second round pick is the guy that he can mess up as much as he wants and eh, who cares, whatever. But it's go-go when he comes in there. If he gets a turnover, it's like, oh my God, get this bum out of here. You know, it should not be like that. So everybody, let, let's let's pump the brakes on the go-go hate. Let's continue to root for all these guys. They're a pacer. Come on. You know, why not? And then when, when to, to wrap up the young guys, Brian Bowen, Jalen LeCue, you know, Keelan Martin, Alex, do you think there's anything there? Nope, not at all. Let's not I even waste either. our time. <laughs> yeah, they're all probably going to be off the team next year. But I think so. um, Keelan Martin, to me, probably is the only guy that has a chance of staying on the team. But I, I, I thought I he'd be a little bit better. I thought I he did would. too. Uh, he was getting more minutes and um, – in the preseason, played pretty yep. well in that first Cavs game. Actually, at the beginning of this year, was playing over Edmund Sumner, uh-huh. which I thought was a bit surprising. But, hey, you know, we're not the coach, and Keelan's a little bit bigger, so maybe that's what b working was thinking, a little bit of a bigger body. But Keelan Martin is who he is. Jalen LeCue is just uh, a chucker with mm-hmm. a bad shot, and um, Brian Bowen might be the worst Two league or two way player in the NBA. I, I I do not think that he's an NBA player. No, he's, um, he's not. I, I just he's not. I just think from the the scandal in college that you know didn't allow him to play in NCAA to then going over to Australia to this to you know coming over here. I think he's just bounced around, never really been able to feel like truly develop. And I just I don't. I think he's going to be playing overseas probably after this season. Yeah, so let's do a quick preview here of this Hornets game. Most of you guys will be listening to this on Wednesday morning. So Wednesday night, the Pacers will be playing the Charlotte Hornets in um, two road games, back-to-back games. It'll be Wednesday and Friday, 7 o'clock tip-offs, which are great, back on that East Coast time. But Fachi, the, the Hornets, they've been decent this year, but they've lost five of their last six games. They did go out and trade for Gordon Hayward this year. We all know about that. So what storyline to you is the most enticing? I mean, it's definitely going to be the Gordon Hayward, you know, storyline because it sounded like the man wanted to be a Pacer, you know, like the, and then Pacer fans wanted him to be a Pacer. So there was definitely, it felt like it was close. Hayward's balling out this year. He really is career year, 24 points per game. 51.5% 51.5% shooting, you know, I mean, that's going to be something that, you know, the Pacers could have their handful there. Uh, Sabonis, is he going to play? Is he not? Probably doesn't play Wednesday, but you really never know. So, you know, the Pacers, you got Bismack Biombo, someone who's not good, but it feels like he saves his games where he is good against the Pacers. 
So we'll see about there. But, you know, you mentioned the Hornets. Uh, not really good in their last few games, but, Alex, they're actually 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Um, this team that over that stretch, uh, they're actually playing really good defense. They're only giving up 107.2 points per game in their last 10. And on the season, they're actually a pretty good defensive team. So eighth in points allowed, number one in the NBA in assists. So I think we all expected them to be like horrible this year. And they're actually not that bad. Seven and 10, it's not good, but they're not that bad. Yeah. Well, that's why, I mean, you could go and you could go and say, yeah, they've won five of the last 10, but <laughs> I look at the most recent games. They're five, they've been on a losing streak, really. Yeah. They had one sneaky win in a close game against the Magic, but had lost other games before that. And they did go on a nice little winning streak before they went on a losing streak. So really to me, um, I just I just feel like this is, a, this is a Charlotte team that's good. And I think the best way to describe them is a team that never quits, kind of like the yes. old Pacers used to be. It's just a team like you can never count out. Gordon Hayward, that storyline is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really curious to see how Miles Turner plays in this game, if he takes this matchup personally, if they're going to be matched up against each other, how, how aggressive they go at each other. Uh, I'll be interested to see what Gordon Hayward does because Gordon Hayward is playing at an all-star level player. You know, really, I still think while I, while I think Turner has been phenomenal, Gordon Hayward fits a need this Pacers team does not have and would have been awesome for this Pacers team if he was on here. And maybe he wouldn't be scoring as many points. We can say all that, but I just feel like Gordon Hayward's a really good player. I think a lot of people underrate him. And really, I think a lot of that just comes down to the fact that he became the fourth option in Boston, and people forget who he once was with Utah. And he's really starting to show signs of that. But, you know, Terry Rozier, Scary Terry, the guy that we begged the Pacers not to go get. Begged. He's been playing good, Foch. He, he looks has. really good. The guy that's really taken a step back is uh, Devontae Graham. He's really struggled. Went from possibly the most improved player of the year. Was in that conversation. I too. think he probably should have won it. He was, yeah, he was definitely. Should have got more consideration. Uh, I think Brandon Ingram probably should have won it just because he was an all-star. But, you know, Devontae Graham was on a bad Hornets team last year. Let's be honest. Like, if you're on a really bad team, you're probably not going to – he could win most improved. But if you don't really do much and the record's not great, like, okay, like, I don't even think – I get it. They Did they come to the bubble? No, no, no. They didn't. Yeah, they missed it. So, it was um, – yeah. So, unfortunately for them, they missed the bubble. They didn't have a great year last year. They went out and made some moves and – Got rid of Batum. They've got Gordon Hayward. They've got Lamella Ball, a guy that's you know an interesting rookie. But overall, Fauci, I'm just I'm just telling you, this Hornets team is going to be tough. They always play the Pacers well. The Pacers, to me, have always struggled in Charlotte. Yep. So I, I think we could split this series. But if Sabonis plays, I am pretty optimistic we get two wins here. If Sabonis plays, I think we win both. I think he probably misses Wednesday just to. Give him a little bit of rest. Um, I think I don't Pacers know. Are, I feel like he might play. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he played him. He's playing a ridiculous amount of minutes on the on the season. So, and one thing Nate Bjorkman said when you know asked about the minutes, he says like you're not seeing what we're doing in practice, giving guys certain time off. You know whether they're not practicing or going easier in practice. So I do think that you know Nate has that under control a bit. But look, that knee injury, real quick. I feel like we all kind of felt like something was going to come eventually when you're playing Sabonis 38 minutes per game, basically. But 
Back to the Hornets, I feel like this is a team that, you know, even two of those losses in that stretch where they lost like five straight or whatever it was, they were by a combined six points to the Raptors. So they have been pesky. They have been staying around, just like you mentioned. So it's not going to be easy, but I do think that the Pacers are a better team than this. Um, so I, I expect the Pacers to kind of come out there and, you know, if the bonus is, in, is there, I mean, why not take care of business? The Pacers, you know, if they can out-rebound their opponents – they're going to be good. They're five and one when out rebounding their opponents. Only problem is they don't do it too often. So I would like to see them be able to do that against the Hornets. I think like, you know, the, the Hornets are lacking that wing right now where I feel like that could do a lot of damage to the Pacers. You know, you have your guards do Devonte Graham to go back to that. The reason why I felt Graham should have got more love and uh, most improved player was this, this guy was a second round pick who went from averaging like four points per game to all of a sudden 18 so, unfortunately, he's kind of come really back down. So, you don't want to overlook Terry Rozier, just like you mentioned. LaMelo Ball, I, I think, has flashed a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very streaky, though. You never know if he's going to go, you know, 4-15 or 15 or anything like that, or he could maybe give you, you know, flirt with a triple-double. So, it's not going to be the easiest, but I do think the Pacers can take care of business here. A lot's going to depend on Sabonis' health, though. Sure. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I mean, this Hornets team, they're seven and ten. They're they're fighting to get in that playing game probably this year. I mean, good team that's growing, not great. A <laughs> lot of flaws to them still. Scrappy is all good out. It's going to be a tough one for the Pacers. I think it's going to be a grinded out game. Pacers will probably get the W win on Wednesday. They got to build off that game against the Raptors. I can't I can't see them trading wins back and forth as much as they yeah. have been. And you got to take care of the teams that are under 500. But um, as we close this out, Fachi, unfortunately, I don't know if you saw this, but while we're recording, Seku Smith. I did see that. NBA TV analyst has passed away. And if you guys are diehard Pacer fans, you know that Seku at one point was covering the Indiana Pacers before he became a national reporter. So um, I believe he died due to covid 19 complications. So Seku was an awesome guy that I always loved hearing talk NBA and was great on NBA TV. Just a great person overall. Everybody has glowing things to say about him. So truly devastating that we lose Seku uh, January 26th. And just, you know, want to give out our condolences to him and his family. Uh, Tough, tough loss in the NBA world right now. Very tough loss. I mean, just, you know, obviously gone way too soon especially also on the anniversary of Kobe's passing you know just a just a a rough day January 26th so you know hey there's there's nothing positive that we could say to fix any of that so you know all we can do is just say our condolences are with uh, Sekou's family as well as obviously the Bryant family absolutely so yeah January 26th has not been good the last couple of years to the NBA world but as we can say you know it's uh it's uh all we can do is move forward and just remember them for their positive things they've done in life and, you know, just keep going with it because these are guys that love the game and they want to see the game flourish and the game continue to grow. And I think the best thing we can do is just remember their greatness and continue to, you know, talk about this game that they love. So um, as we close this out, sorry to end things on a little bit of a sad note there, but wanted to mention that um, just because Seku was an Indiana guy for sure. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. My guy Fachi's at the underscore F A C C I. And uh, yeah, we got some Pacers basketball right around the corner. Uh, two games against the Hornets. So looking forward to that. And at the end of the day, Fachi, what do we say? I got three words for you. Let's go, Pacers.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.